Hey, encourage you on campus before we jump in, and then and then I'm gonna. I promise I'll get started. Um, so, one of the things that's happening right now, and and you may or may not be as aware of it because you're living in the midst of it. Um, but some of us that are older are kind of recognizing this happen. Man, when I went to school. Uh, I went to school in Lubbock at Texas Tech. Man, everybody was a Christian. Come on, get your guns up. We had a tough loss last night, but whatever. Um, anyway, everybody was a Christian, and uh, and it was and it was just by by title, right? And uh, and certainly, like in in grade school and stuff, it was the same thing. You guys are are seeing that less and less and less. Uh, the person that is just Christian by name is kind of going away, uh, and it's happening. It's kind of like a snowball right now. Um, it's happening faster and faster as each uh, as each group of young people kind of comes uh, comes through uh, school. It, we, it feels like those numbers and and research is kind of bearing this out that the person that just says I'm a Christian and they're really not that person is disappearing. And a lot of people are freaking out about that. You know, a lot a lot of people are really freaking out about that because what they they're seeing is an apparent shrinking of of Christian population, and they're going, oh my gosh, you know, our, our, it, it, this, is a, this is a tragedy, this is a bad thing. Here's the deal, though. What's actually happening is, it's, it's not, it's when, when people, a lot of times when people freak out, just pause a minute and go, could this be God? <laughs> and I think that it is. And what's happening is it's actually sort of a gift, uh, because a lot of just the Christian by name is going away. Well, what does that, what does that mean that we're left with? We're left with authenticity. We're left with people that when they say that they're a Christian, that means something. That means that they're actually following Jesus, that they're not just this cultural Christian. It means that they've given their life to him, that they're actually representative of what the Bible says is a follower of Jesus. So now there's authenticity. Well, here's the deal. Here's, uh, this is going to connect to what you're doing on campus. Authenticity is always at the core of revival. Always. Always, there's never been fake revival. It, it can't, I mean, it can't happen, right? There can be organizations and movements and things like that, but real revival always has as its core an authentic giving of our lives to Jesus. So what we're doing on Revive Campus is we're wanting to create opportunity for that authenticity to be shared, we're wanting to create opportunity for people on your campus to encounter people who are authentically following Jesus. And that's why a lot of what we do is centered around creating conversations. Because we feel like if we can create conversation, if we can build relationship, relationship is the vehicle that authenticity is understood. I can't know that you're authentic unless I know you. Unless we sit down and chat, there's no way that I'm going to know that you are uh, that you have authenticity in your walk with Jesus. So what we're doing on campus, it may seem funny. Like, why are we passing out muffins and stuff and, and doing surveys? Well, why are we doing that? Because it gives us a vehicle to have a conversation. And in having a conversation, what, what people realize is that we are genuinely authentically interested in their lives, and then they get to hear from us about a genuine and authentic following of Jesus. 
And so you're going to, if you do Revive Campus with us, you're probably going to do a lot of different things. We, we're just letting the Lord kind of guide the creativity. You may do some kind of off-the-wall stuff. Like we've talked about some kind of weird stuff. Like we haven't done it yet, but we're, at some point we're going to move a bunch of puppies onto campus and like let people just, I mean, people just want to come. And we would talk to them about why, why do you want to, why is that? make your heart feel so good, right? And we're going to just, just why? Because we're creating space for vulnerability and conversation. Um, and, and we're going to do that in all sorts of different ways. And, uh, and so just come, come be a part of that. If that's something that's, uh, that's a little nervous to you, I promise you, listen to me, I promise you, we are going to push you a little bit. Okay. So we're going to push you a little bit, but I promise you, our goal is not to hand you a bunch of tracks and kick you out on campus and go, hey, look at me. Have as many awkward conversations as you possibly can, right? That's not what we're trying to do because we're trying to connect with, uh, with some authenticity. And so our goal is not to make them feel weird <laughs> and it's not for you to feel weird either. So if that's something that makes you nervous, come on, just come on, just pass out some coffee with us. Just, and if that's where you're at, then just come on. Don't stay home. You hear me? Don't stay home. If you're a little nervous, don't stay home. Just go, it's okay to come to us. Hey, I'm a little nervous about that. Then that's okay. Just help with this then, right? Participate in some way. But that's what Revive Campus is. And so we're doing as, as much as we can to try to create conversation because I promise you authenticity means something. And listen to me. People believe you more and more and more. It means something deep when you say that you follow Jesus. It means something deeper than it used to, and that's not, that's not your fault. It means something deeper than it used to uh, today, and I believe that in the years to come, it's going to be even more and more and more genuine. Think about the early church. Think about what it meant to confess Jesus as Lord. It was, a, it was a, in, in many places and still in areas of the world today, to confess Jesus as Lord is a death sentence. So to confess Jesus as Lord, you think there's any authenticity in it? Absolutely. Think anybody's going to go, oh, maybe they're kidding. No, because it could mean your life, right? But that's the sort of Christianity that is going to begin to surface in our nation. I believe that. So don't be afraid that some of the clutter of just by name Christianity is going away. It's not, it's not something for us to fear. It's something for us to press into Jesus for and go, okay, authenticity is, is really coming to the surface and that's what we want. So um, anyway, just kind of a word there on campus. Let's talk about evangelism with that in mind. We talked about discipleship. Um, I would encourage you, if you haven't been with us, to go back and listen to those podcasts. It's uh, four weeks. And the reason it's important is because what we're going to study right now is we're going to study Matthew 28. Um, the, the last few verses of Matthew 28, where Jesus is going to tell us to go and make disciples. Here's the deal. We need to understand what it is to be a disciple if we're going to hear correctly to go and make disciples. All right. So uh, I don't have time to go back through all of that. But again, the, you can check out the podcast um, to be able to uh, just give you an idea of what we've been talking about. We kind of deconstructed a lot of our current discipleship model and went, okay, what does it really look like in the scriptures and built back up from there? Uh, so hopefully you've been encouraged by that. Hopefully you've really been strengthened and encouraged in the life group. And that's the design. We want you to hear here and be taught here. But life group is where you're going to be able to chat with one another. You're going to get deeper into this content. Uh, you've got fantastic leaders that are leading you through this. Um, and so that's the place where we're really going to work this into our lives. You guys ever made bread? You ever been around? Okay, my wife really likes to make bread. 
and you've got to really work to make bread, right? You've got to knead the, the dough and you, you got to really, really work it, okay? Life group is where that happens. Like life group is what we're going to teach and I'm going to give you a lot of instruction and teaching, but life group is where that really gets worked into our lives. And the reason that is, is because, and we're, we're coming together as a group of people and surrounding ourselves by the scriptures and going, okay, God, teach us together. And that's a powerful, powerful instrument um, in, your, in your walk with Jesus. So please, if you're not in a life group, it's not too late to join. So jump in and, uh, and be part of that. All right, evangelism. Here's the deal. We're going to spend three weeks uh, on evangelism. And uh, we're going to, again, I'm, it's like this is kind of the thing right now, but we're going to deconstruct some stuff. Right now, I think we see evangelism in a really small way. We're going to try to expand our viewpoint uh, on evangelism. And uh, it's, it's kind of cool. It's coinciding with some of the things that, that my kids are even learning. Uh, yesterday, Naomi, or two, yesterday, a couple of days ago, I don't even, where, where are you? There you are. Uh, yeah, so my son had to do an interview with a missionary and uh, for school, and, uh, and so he interviewed Naomi, and so it's some stuff that's going on in our house as well. Um, that, was, that was really fun, listening to him uh, chat about that interview. Also, he turned seven today. Man, that's cool. All right, I promise we're going to get into this. All right, evangelism. <laughs> Here we go. You want to know what Webster says about evangelism? Not that we care so much, but here's what, here's what Webster says. That evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. All right? So let's just, let's just check that out again, okay? The spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. Now, all I can do is I can share with you kind of the, the framework that I feel like we see evangelism in, that I feel like you probably have been around evangelism, but a lot of it comes from my background and from, uh, from what I've been in. So if this doesn't connect with you, that's fine. Uh, but this has just kind of been my experience in the church. Man, anytime I heard that word evangelism, here's what was in my mind. It's telling people about Jesus. That's as simple as I know how to make it. If I, if I just tried to go, okay, think back over my, uh, my years in church, and, and if you know that word, that's not a word we really use much except for in the context of the church. And so it's like, what is evangelism? It's telling people about Jesus. Webster kind of agrees. But here's what, what, what began to be problematic for me. Jesus, in all of the Gospels, Jesus never tells us to evangelize. Now let's be careful here. Jesus never tells us to evangelize. He never uses that word, and, he, and, he, and he, never, he never says to us, just go and tell people about me. The ending, and that's why we're going to look at Matthew 28, because Jesus is sending, this, he, 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 let's go ahead and go there, because that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time. Go to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at, we're going to look at his words, because what I don't want you to do is go, oh my gosh, Kendall just said we're not supposed to evangelize. That's not what I said. Let's just be careful. Okay, so check this out. So Matthew 28, uh, just start in verse 18 here. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's what he says. Go therefore and make disciples. Remember, that word is really important to us. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all 
that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right? So here's what I mean when I say that Jesus never calls us to evangelize. Jesus never says to us, uh, just go and tell people about me. What Jesus gives us is Jesus gives us a call to evangelism that is so much more robust than just, hey, go tell people about me. Right? What we've done, what I think that we've done is we become to, and you may, you may not agree with this, you may come from a background that just really gets evangelism in its full nature and context, and, and that, that's awesome if that's true. I don't know that that's the case for many of us. I think for a lot of us, when we hear the word evangelism, we hear it as just telling people about Jesus. And in our mind, it's kind of that, that moment with somebody where I evangelize them or I, I tell them, hey, this is the gospel. I may or may not know that person, but, but it's that moment where I just share who Jesus is. It's very cerebral to us, meaning like it's, a, it's very argument-based. We, it's, it's very apologetic based. It's the defending of our faith. I've got to tell or convince somebody about Jesus. Here's the deal. That may not match your understanding of evangelism. As I grew up, that's the way I understood it. And here's the dangerous part of that. I began to believe that I'm not an evangelist, right? I began to believe, well, that's not for me. That's not the way that God has gifted me. And so maybe that's not really, that's not really for me. Here's the problem. There is no exclusionary statement in Matthew 28. Jesus doesn't look at the disciples and go, okay, the ones of you that are good at convincing people about me, you guys go and you go make disciples of all. He didn't say that. He talks about the authority that has been given to him and then sends how many of them? All of them. So when we get when we step into territory that kind of eliminates us from this job of evangelism, from this work of evangelism, what, what we've done is we've said, okay, either evangelism is something different than what Jesus said, and it's for only for the talented people of, at evangelism, or Jesus meant something very different when he, when he spoke in the Great Commission. Here's what I'm saying to us as just a framework for this whole study, is that the Great Commission is the definition of biblical evangelism. All right? Are we cool with that? So what I'm doing is I'm making it off limits for evangelism to be just telling people about Jesus. I don't know if that's what you think it is, but that's off limits. What we're going to see is, okay, evangelism is defined, is given to us. The fullest understanding of it is, came from Jesus' mouth, and it, and it comes in the Great Commission. All right? So is that cool? So when we use the word evangelism, that's what we're talking about, all right? Because here's the deal, too, just some, just some other understanding. The, there's three times that the Bible uses the word evangelist or, uh, or evangelism. There's only three of those, of those times. Here's, here's the, the context, okay? One of them is in Acts 21, where Philip is just defined as an evangelist. There's not much context to it except for it's, it's Philip the evangelist, Okay? The second time is in Ephesians 4.11, where the fivefold ministry is given, and it, and, it, and it says that there's some teachers, some prophets, some evangelists, right? So evangelists is listed in the, in the fivefold ministry of the church in Ephesians chapter 4, written by Paul. The third time is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, all right? So here's the problem. If we just take those, those three words of evangelist, we don't get a really great definition from that. However, 
If we look at the context of scripture, what we realize is that the work of evangelism is defined by Jesus's command to go and make disciples of all nations found in Matthew 28. So that's how we're going to create that definition. So here's what I want to unpack for us over the next three weeks, starting this week. I want to unpack Matthew 28 as the context of what evangelism is. All right. Are we cool on that? You needed to kind of understand where we were going to be coming from. Is everybody good with what we're going to be doing? So three weeks. Let me line this out for you. Here's what we're going to look at this week. We're going to uh, we're going to look at all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Okay, that's where that's a weird place to stop. I get it. Okay, but that's where we're going to stop. Next week we're going to talk about and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, that's next week. The last week is we're going to talk about where he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right? So those are our three sections of evangelism. Everybody cool? Those of you that are like type A, love an outline, I hope that you're happy. All right? There it is. There's the outline. Cool. All right, here we go. So go, therefore, and make disciples. Uh, Okay, so, so go ahead and jump to Matthew 28 if you're not there, and let's, uh, and let's jump into it. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would just give us, by your spirit, understanding of your word. We know that you're the one that is to lead us into all truth, and so as we open your word, and, and we just pray that what would be in our heart would be just a, uh, an inquiry of you, uh, a searching of you in your heart to say, God, I want to hear the truth. I want to know the truth. The truth will make me free. I want to see the truth that is in your word. If God, if you're asking me to go, I want to hear that command. God, I want to hear you just pull me from my seat and, and, and send me into this work of making disciples. And so we just ask, God, that by your spirit we would hear from you this morning. We pray for transformation in this room. None of us want to leave the way that we came in. So would you change us, God? Would you shape us into the image of you by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the deal. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a huge opening statement. Why is that an important opening statement? What does he establish? He establishes that whatever he says after it comes from where? Authority. You hear me? Authority. Now, what kind of authority? Because he, he makes it very specific. He doesn't just say his own authority. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't say that, that his authority comes because this is a good idea. This is his best idea of things. He says all authority where? In heaven and on earth. How much more authority is left? I think he got it all, didn't he? Right? If like the authority pie is laying out there and Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth, how much is left in that pie? And not a sliver for anybody else, right? He establishes, listen, absolute authority. Where does he get absolute authority? First, it's the word all. All authority. And then he gives locations. All authority where? In heaven, and what does he establish by saying in heaven? 
the cosmos, all things in, he- in the heavenly places. But what if he stops there? What if he just says, all authority in heaven has been given to me, go and make disciples. He, doesn't st- he does not stop there. He includes the earth. And here's why. Because the authority of heaven has dominion over the, th- the authority of earth. The two are connected and seen as one piece. See, Jesus is not just giving us something spiritual. He doesn't just say, all authority in heaven has been given to me, so spiritually go and make disciples. He connects the authority of heaven to the work that's being done on the earth and establishes himself as king of the heavens and king of the earth. Go to the book of Hebrews. I want you to see this. I wish I could, I wish, wish, wish I had been able to find, and it's not hard to find, you could probably Google it, but it hit me this morning, I, I, I wish I would have brought it for you. Where did I tell you to go? Hebrews or Colossians? I think I told you Hebrews first. All right, we're going to go to both. So if you found Colossians, keep your finger in it. All right. But C.S. Lewis talks about in the, in the book Mere Christianity. He, 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 uh, and if, he's a wonderful thinker. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis, he just kind of will stretch you outside of, of your normal box of thinking. But he basically says this, that Jesus didn't leave us any room for there to be any middle ground with who he was. He was one of two things. Either he's God, the son of God, exactly who, he's, who he says he is, or he's a madman. He just... I mean, based on his life, based on the claims that he makes, based on the miracles that he does, he doesn't give us any middle ground. Either he is exactly who the scripture says he is, meaning he is equal with God, he is the son of God, or he's absolutely a lunatic. You either have to take him or leave him. I believe that he's the son of God. And when he says in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He, where else is all, does all authority rest but in creator God. What is he doing? He's establishing equality with God. He's saying that I am he. All authority in heaven and on earth. Okay, are you in Hebrews? Good. I gotta find where I... Okay. Well, goodness gracious... Ah, sorry. All right, chapter one. If y'all were trying to flip pages with me, you're getting really confused. All right, chapter one, listen to this. Let's move quick, okay? Look at this. Verse three, talking about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe. Come on, hold on. He upholds the universe by the, what? Word of his power. Come on, I want you to just like step into how much authority that is. Right? The word of his power holds the universe together. Right? I can't even hold it together when I have a bad day. Right? I'm like going home, Lindsay, I had a terrible day, right? I can't hold you. The word of his power holds all things together. What? All right, here we go. Go to Colossians. I told you, go to Colossians. Chapter one. Look at verse 15. None of these are on the screen, so you're gonna have to go, all right? 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. Where? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Speaking of who? Speaking of Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, come on, preeminent. He's before all things. He has absolute authority. Why? Because he is God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That last statement. So check this out. There's two things in the book of Colossians I want you to see right there. First is the establishing of his authority. And second is the establishing of his work connected to his authority. What happens, right? His authority gets connected to his work. And what is his work? And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See evangelism. Y'all tracking? His work on the earth and the movement of the kingdom of heaven is always connected to his authority. It's always connected to who he is as God. If Jesus does not have that authority, there is no evangelism. There is no movement of a kingdom if there's not a king. Who he is establishes this work of the advance of the kingdom of heaven, and it is tied directly to his authority. And so we, we've got to see this, all right? So go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew. <laughs> yeah, like, it's on the screen. We don't have to flip for this one. Y'all were flipping pages earlier. Y'all just have it marked? I've told y'all before, that's the preacher test, man. If, if I tell you a new passage and I don't hear, fsht, 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 I'm like, all right, they're asleep or they're like master at the Bible drill. <laughs> right? All right, check it out. Here we go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Y'all got it? We good there? Like we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks there. But listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. What's the next word? Go. How optional does that feel now? Y'all with me? He didn't just say like, all right. Now those of you that, that really resonate with this on your strength aptitude test and all your love languages and all you, like all you people, if you really, really, really feel like it, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say it. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Look at me in the eyes. Go. Jesus establishes his authority at the beginning so that the command comes and we understand it. Right? Which of us, calling ourselves a disciple of Jesus, would dare say that we're not sent? Which of us that would call ourselves a disciple of Jesus could look at this passage and then go, I don't know about that evangelism thing. I'm not sure that that's for me. I'm not sure that that's in my strength test. 
He establishes complete and absolute authority and then from that authority tells us to go. Listen to me. It is not an option for a Christ follower. It is not, Jesus leaves absolutely no room for this command to be taken as optional. He establishes complete authority and then sends us. Go therefore. What does therefore mean? We we always say this. I haven't said it in a while. What's the therefore, therefore? You know what he's connecting therefore to? His authority. It's like when dad would say, because I said so. (laughs) Y'all ever hear that? It's like, that's the trump card, right? I never liked that answer much, but you know where it came from? Authority. Like, we're not having a conversation. Go. Do what I said. Why? Because I said it. Whatever comes after is kind of irrelevant. I said it. It comes from authority. Jesus tells us to go. He has the absolute authority to sin. Listen, the kingdom is advancing and you don't have an option to to partially participate. You have been commanded to go. Think of just like check into somebody that's authority in your life. And and if it's a really, really, really unhealthy and abusive viewpoint of authority, don't check into that. Like something, something of authority that is healthy and good in your life. If you can find that, even if it's somebody you don't know, but just maybe it's a structure. Maybe it's like, uh, I, I don't know, but something that in your mind is authority. Imagine that relationship on the earth. If somebody or someone with authority came into this room and told us to do something, what would our response be? We would do it. We would do it. In my mind, it's, it's like if uh, if a if a police officer walked in here, all like threaded up, you know, like they got their stuff on, and they said, "All right, everybody, we got to be safe. Everybody in that room." But I'm moving, right? Right? I'm moving. That's somebody in my mind I connect with authority. I'm moving. I'm not like, what's your name? <laughs> right? Like, you know, I'm not, we're not having a con- I'm gone. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's just a relationship with authority. Jesus establishes that authority and sends us from authority. There's no option to participate. But here's what's, here's what's incredible, all right? is that he also establishes, he establishes his, his authority to send us, meaning he's qualified to send us all over the earth. If you're hearing from Jesus to go, just know he's qualified to tell you to go. And you're all hearing from him to go right there. Matthew 28 does not give us room to say, well, I'm not, that's not for me. He says go. Here's what's beautiful though, is that he doesn't send us away from absolute authority. He sends us with absolute authority. And we got to catch this because I think this is one of the one of the main toxins at work in the evangelism of the church today is that we hear the command to go, but we don't go with the authority of Jesus. He sends us with uh, under his authority and then we go with ours. And the reality is that that's never the way that it was built to be, that Jesus sends us in his authority, but then also 
accompanies us with his authority. We're going to see this at the end of the passage. He reaffirms this at the end of the passage when he says, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's not sending you to do ministry, to do evangelism with your own authority. He's sending you with his. There's power and there's authority in it and it's not yours. You're going in his name. Right? There's that phrase in, in the scriptures all the time. And we kind of invoke this, this uh, invokes probably a weird word that sounds a little mystical, but uh, we say this a lot in the name of Jesus. You know that biblically what that meant was? It would, that phrase comes from what, what, a, uh, what someone would do if they were doing business in the name of somebody else. Right, So mainly where this came from is families. And when a father would establish authority to a son or daughter, he would give them the ability to do business in his name. Meaning, And, and so what I would, if, if this was my family, anything that I signed, any document that I signed, I could sign it as if I was my dad. And that's where that phrase, in the name of, came from. It's as if you were me. Okay? That's the kind of authority that we carry as we're advancing the kingdom of heaven. We have too long in the church tried to create evangelism based on human effort, human creativity, and human power, and it misses the authority of Jesus. What did Paul say? Paul said, I didn't come to you with cunning words of of wisdom. Like, I'm not trying to, to do this on my own. What did I come? I came to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I don't want your faith to rest in me. I don't want my creativity to be the result or be the, the, uh, the beginning of your salvation. I want you to meet with God. And when you meet God, you may meet him through me because I'm carrying his power and his authority. But your faith will not rest in me. Your faith will rest in him. That's the design of evangelism. That we hear Jesus say go, but also know that he accompanies the ones that he sends. And we go in his power and in his authority. You know what else that ought to kill in us? That ought to kill fear. I'm not saying it doesn't come up every once in a while. And we have to speak to that fear that rises up in us. But even as that fear rises up in us, because man, that's listen to me, that's an intense thing to say, go and make disciples of all nations. Immediately, what your flesh is going to do is go, uh, you can't really do that. <laughs> you ought to have some sort of, this is normal, this is good. When you get called into this work of the advance of the kingdom of heaven, you ought to kind of realize how massive that task is. You ought to kind of have that sinking feeling that makes you go, I cannot do that. Because what does it immediately do? It immediately places us to go, okay, then who can? Oh, praise God. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm not going in my own authority. I'm going in the authority of Jesus. So any fear that comes up, I squash fear with the authority of Jesus. I'm not going on mine. The world is not going to respond to me. I'm carrying the name of Jesus and I'm carrying his power and his authority. And, and by the way, how much authority does he have? What did we just say? All authority is there. Why? So now why would Jesus say that the gates of hell will not prevail against us? Why? What's that connected to? Listen, authority. Do you want to know that there is nothing, nothing on earth or in the heavens? And I don't mean like white, glittery, like, ah, oh, heavens. I mean, things invisible, spiritual powers and spiritual authorities. You want to know that there is nothing in the heavenlies or on the earth that can resist, that can move against you, that can stop you when you move with the authority of Jesus. Jesus. 
Come on. There will be adversity, but we will not be overcome when we walk in the authority that we have been given, which is not our own. It comes from Him. And here's the problem. When we get overcome, it's, it's because of two things. Number one, and I think this is a huge issue, and I'll say it and, and get off the soapbox. We get overcome because we come in my own authority. I get overcome because I've created my own idea of what evangelism should look like, and I've called myself, and I've gone. And it is totally and completely absent the word of the Lord. That's one reason we get overcome. The second reason that I believe that we get overcome is that we think that adversity is failure. And when adversity comes, we back off. Because we believe that the call to Jesus means that there is no adversity, and that's absolutely 100% not true. What I said was that we will never be overcome. You will face adversity. Jesus promises it over and over. You will face adversity. And most of the time we get overcome simply because we're not playing anymore. It's really important that after he has this conversation with the disciples, we go to Acts 1.8 so that you really see how this works. So he's told them, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all right? And then look at, look at what he says in, this is, he's about, man, he's about to be, he's about to be gone. He's died, he's resurrected, and he's come, and he's, he's made this work known to the disciples, and he says, but wait, 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 because why? You, if you go now, you're not going with my authority. You need to wait for, with, for power. I'm going to clothe you with power from on high. Okay? Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my what? Okay. So there's a lot of... There, the, the definition of the work of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures is actually pretty simplistic. Jesus is really to the point when he talks about what the Holy Spirit will do. Okay? There's a few things. He says the Holy Spirit's going to reveal truth. Where's the Holy Spirit going to get that truth? Straight from God. Why? He is God. Okay? Where does the Holy Spirit live? In us. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Okay? A couple of things. Right? He reveals to us truth. We just covered that. Okay? Which includes truth like, we're reading the scriptures, truth pops out. It also, truth, which is revealing sin in our lives, he, he shows us the condition of our heart as God sees. Okay, here's the other thing. He gives us power for witnessing. Okay, see, power for, right? This is what you need to understand. Not power for telling somebody about Jesus, convincing somebody about Jesus. That may be included, but that's too small. He, in, he is giving us power for the Great Commission. 
This is the clothing with power from on high. This is the, and lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. This is the authority accompanying us in the work. Because what does he say? The Holy Spirit will come upon, right? Right, look at this. The Holy, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Do you see it? It's a great commission. He's just following up with the Great Commission by saying, and this is what you need because you cannot do this absent me. That I am the linchpin for all evangelism. The work of the Great Commission is not a work that you do. It's a work that you're part of. It's the work that I do by filling you and moving through you in the advance of the kingdom of heaven. Y'all with me? And that's why it's not optional. Because it's not on you. It would, if this was on us, he would probably go, all right, all the talented stand up. All the super cunning stand up. But what does the scripture tell us? That God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Well, it's not up to you. He has clothed you and sent you. When Moses, and I'm going to just brief on this, but in, you can read this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Moses basically says, all right, man, I'm tracking with the plan, but what am I going to do when I get there? Because I don't have any, what's his question about? Authority. I don't have any power. Basically, the question is, what am I going to do when I show up and Pharaoh goes, all right, I hear your demand. Who are you? <laughs> right? That's great. I love the request. Who are you again? <laughs> And Moses says, who do I tell them? And what does God say back? Who sent me? What's God's answer? I am. What's he telling Moses? You're not going under the name of Moses. You're carrying my name. You're You're going under my authority. And what authority is that, by the way? All authority in heaven and on earth, is what is sending you. And then read the story. What accompanied Moses? Power. Why? Because it wasn't him. It wasn't Moses convincing Pharaoh. It was God using Moses to display his power and his authority. This is the heart of evangelism. God has called us into this because in and through you, God wants to display his love and his power and his authority. God wants to encounter people in and through you. If we're going to understand evangelism properly, we've got to first see it as the way that Jesus said it. We're going to talk about what does it look like. Okay, because the next phrase, we could get all hyped up here and, and that's good. And we need to get, we need to hear that we've been sent. Some of y'all need to check into the game like today. Some of y'all still think this is for you at home. No, 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 no. We've been called into a fight. We've been called into a war, a spiritual war. And we we, we didn't get to go over it, but Ephesians chapter 6 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but what? Against powers and principalities of darkness. We are pushing back darkness. We're ministers of reconciliation, advancing the kingdom, pushing back darkness. And you have not been given an option whether you're sent or not. You have been clothed with power by the Holy Spirit if you are saved. And you have been sent with all authority in heaven and on earth. So some of y'all need to wake up. And it's okay if you go, okay, I feel like I've been sent. That's all right. A little bit of fear is good. 
A little bit of fear is really, really, really healthy and good because it tells me that you know that you're not capable. That's going to keep us really pressed into the one that is. If some of y'all heard that and like, I got this, I have serious questions about you. Because you're going to end up like that guy, and, and you can maybe help me with my reference, but these cats come up to this guy that's, filled, that's got a demon, and, and they try to cast him out. And this dude's, I mean, they just get annihilated. They're beat up. And, the de- and, and they, they're like trying to just say a bunch of stuff, like, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Paul, in the name of... Re-. And the demon speaks back to him and goes, I know those guys. Who are you? Some of y'all are going, I got this. And I'm going, you're going to get wore out. <laughs> right? Why did, why did darkness know those guys? Because they carried an authority that was not their own. Because when they came, things moved. When Jesus stood up, seas calmed down, right? That's the kind of authority that we need to carry. You go out on your own, you're going to get wore out. Jeff could probably tell us story after story after story. Missionaries coming off the field, wore out, beat up, smoked. (laughs) Because they did it in their own authority. That must be it's time to go. It is. You're right. 1035. Here we go. Thanks for telling me, water bottle. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for today. Man, I just pray that we would just get in, just like catch this, man, hear this. This is so simple. It's not optional. You have called us to go. You have called us to push back darkness. But I also pray that in that place of fear, and that's okay, that's good. And and even, man, some of us that are like, I don't want to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. And and God, I just pray that you administer to that place of fear. And you go, that's okay that you know the capacity of your flesh. Press into me because it's my power. It's my authority that you go with. And I pray that even right now in this room, that we would be strengthened with your power on the inner man. That we would know that you have sent us and God, I pray for the advance of the kingdom in every sphere of influence that's, that's in this room. In dorm rooms, in classrooms, in homes, in, in, uh, in roommate relationships, in sororities, on, on volleyball teams. Uh, in just God, would you just advance the kingdom by your power and your authority? Would you, would you wake us up and would you have us connect to this reality that we can push back darkness? Not because we're talented enough, because you are in us. Some of us need to get on the field, and I pray, God, that you would bring us onto the field. And, God, we thank you right now for what you're going to do based on what you've stirred in our hearts today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.